On January the 15th of this year, the Cowboys, Dallas Cowboys and the Green Bay Packers played in the divisional round of the playoffs. How many of you watched that game? If you don't know anything about the NFL, with the playoff game, like in, in the NBA or in Major League Baseball, you have like 84 playoff games. But in the NFL, you're one and done. You lose, it's over. And so this is a very important game. And if you've been to this church much, you know, for whatever reason, I have some psychological issues with the Dallas Cowboys. So I'm a hater. And my daughter, who is out of town today, but hopefully is listening to this, is, uh, she's a Dallas Cowboy lover. And we've got her therapy for that for years. We still can't get her out of that. But we are at my house watching the game, and it starts off great. The Packers start off just really putting it to them, and the Cowboys catch up. I wouldn't say it was a great game because a great game to me would have been 59 to nothing Packers at the end of the first quarter, but it was an exciting game. And so there's like a minute 40 to go in the game, and the Packers kick a 50-yard field goal, over 50 yards to go ahead, 31 to 28. Well, the Cowboys drive back down the field, and they tied up with 35 seconds. Now, I'm looking at my daughter, and I know what I'm doing. We're both praying against each other, right? I'm saying, God, if you love me, let the Packers win. And she's praying the same thing. She's making promises to God about gifts she's going to give to the building fund and all this stuff if the Cowboys will win. Well, I think it's going to overtime, and, and the Packers will end up losing. But this is a miraculous play, the next to the last play of the game, a tremendous pass play and reception. And then the Packer kicker comes out and kicks like a 52-yard field goal. But the Cowboys have called timeout, so it doesn't count. And I'm looking at her, and I'm looking at me, and I'm going, what is God thinking right now? I mean, think of the conflicting message God's getting. People begging for one team to win and one team to lose and vice versa. Well, the Packers kick the second field goal, and it goes through, and Jesus is Lord. Amen? <laughs> and so I'm excited. I wasn't going to rub her face in it, but I wanted to at least enjoy it. And I look over there, and she's crying. 30 years old, she's sitting there crying. So then all my joy is stolen, and I have to go console her and tell her I love her and all that. But, you know, it reminded me, we, we want God for our team, don't we? C- come on now. Really, don't you? How many of you are at Tech Ball Games praying? You are, or for LSU, or whoever it is. And we're in Joshua chapter 5 this morning, and we're going to try to answer, I think, a tremendously important question about where God stands in the mix of things on our life. Here's the first thing. We want God on our side. We want God on our team. We, we want God to be with us. And if you don't feel that way, you are abnormal. It's normal to feel this way. In Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, it says, Joshua, Joshua was by Jericho. He lifted up his eyes, and look, and behold, a man was standing before him with his, his uh, drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us? Are you for our adversaries. Now, what's, what's happening is God has got these people to the promised land, the place where their best life is going to happen if they'll stay with God. They crossed the river of Jericho, mirac- the, the Jordan River, miraculously. If you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about that. And so they're, they're, on the, the, they're in the promised land, and they're looking at the city of Jericho. That's going to be the first city they've got to take when they go to, to war. 
And Joshua's a great leader. He's out basically doing a little reconnaissance, a little scouting to see the lay of the land. And he sees a man standing in front of him with his sword drawn. That's the, the uh, I guess you would say in our day, that'd be like a hunter out in the woods. And here comes a man walking up, not pointing his gun at you, but he just has a gun. That's kind of uncomfortable. And Joshua knows they're getting ready to go to war. So Joshua's questioned, and he doesn't recognize who this person is initially. He says, hey, are you, are you for the Jewish people? Are you for the bad guys? Are you on our team? Are you on their team? We're going to talk more about this in a moment. But this was either at the very least an angel of God or this was God making himself known uh, to a man here. And Joshua's question to this being was, are you with us or are you against us? And you know from the time that you were a little kid that picking teams, you wanted the right people on your team, correct? You, you wanted people, if you could get the biggest and the strongest people in the neighborhood on your team, you won the game, right? And, and I mean, that's the same way we go to Little League, when you go, when you go up in sports, we understand that. We know that's true in, in cliques and stuff in school. We know that's true in work. We know that's true at church. We know that's true in politics, whether it's city or a national level. You want to get the person who's got the power and the influence and the ability to make something happen. If you have any sense, you want that person on your team. You want that person on your side. And again, what we're seeing here is not just a a person. We're seeing something that's supernatural. But this morning, I want to ask you about God, because that's, that's who he's encountering. You want God on your side? How many of you, when you get in an argument with your spouse, really believe God's with you and is against your wife? Or uh, with you and against your husband? When you're having marital problems, Greg, I see that head shaking. When you're having marital issues, I mean, even everybody has marital issues, you want God on your side. If you have family issues, and we all have family issues, you want God on your side of that argument. That's understandable. You go to the doctor and you're facing some serious issues medically, you want God on your side. Now now listen to me. God loves you. God created you. Jesus died for you. But God's not on everybody's side. God's favor, God's power, God's pleasure, God's blessing is not with everybody. Now let me explain it with our second big thought this morning. God is on his side. Now, that may seem strange, but I I hope I can explain it to you well because I think it is hugely significant. Look in verse 14. This person said to him, No, but I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come, and Joshua fell on his face to the earth, and he worshiped, and he said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant. Let me paraphrase this conversation. I think I'm paraphrasing it accurately. Joshua walks up to this person and he says, Are you for us or for them? Are you on my team or their team? And here's what the person says back. I'm paraphrasing, but I think I'm paraphrasing accurately. I'm not on your team and I'm not on their team. I'm on my team. Now, you notice it says in this passage several things. He says, I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Joshua fell on his face and he worshiped. We'll see that more in a moment. Okay, here's here's one of two basic options. This is either an angel 
Because Joshua has realized it's not a man at this point. Or, and I think this is probably a better option, this is God. Theologians call this type of thing a theophany. That is an appearance of God to men. Some say it may have been Jesus, a Christophany, appearance of Christ to men. Why do I kind of lean toward thinking that it's God? Because you don't bow down to an angel. You don't worship an angel. Joshua knew the law well enough to know you worship the Lord your God and him only. In the book of Revelation, when John bows down at the feet of an angel, the angel says, get up, you don't worship me. I'm a created being just like you are. I believe that he had an encounter, was having an encounter with God Almighty. And I think he realized that too. And I love God's response to him. God's response to him is, Joshua, you got the wrong concept, buddy. Your real natural concept, the concept that the preacher and everybody in this room basically has. God, you need to be on my team. God, you're on my side, aren't you? And God said, nope. Joshua, I am the way, not a way, I am the way. I'm not part of the truth, I am the truth. I'm not a way to life, I am life. Joshua, I'm the bullseye, I'm the center, I'm the target. Joshua, I'm not on their side or your side, I'm God and I am on my side. Folks, that's not being arrogant, that's God. Let me give you a human example of this. If you had a a three-year-old and a five-year-old, God bless you, or you're babysitting a three-year-old and a five-year-old, nephews, nieces, whatever it is, and you go in the bedroom and they're fighting or they're arguing, and they want you to take their side. A lot of times, both, they're both wrong. They're both in the wrong. And you don't go in there, and you don't need to pick a side, even as an imperfect human, that you love your kids or, or your grandkids or whoever it is. So you go in, and you, you set the agenda. Here's how it's going to be. You need to straighten up, and you need to straighten up. You don't say, well, yeah, they're right and you're wrong, unless it's clearly that way you set the standard and that's what God was saying here folks this is so huge God wasn't there to pick sides God came to take control God didn't come to take sides God came to take control so I would say to this about your marriage today God's not interested in me winning the argument with my wife. God's not interested in me showing her up or her showing me up. Or being on my side or her side. God is the truth. God has his side. Your family issues. You may have some wacko family members. That, that's, if you do, amen. That's throughout the Bible. Everybody has crazy family members. Read Genesis 4, the very first family ever. That one of the brothers killed the other brother. That's dysfunctional, Amen that's not normal that's not good your home situation your work situation we need to see if we're on God's side that's the issue God's not on my side or your side God is on his side and whatever your situation is if you would think about this God doesn't want to come into your life or your situation today to take a side God wants to come in to take control So here's the third thing this morning, and this is the drive at home. We need to bring our life under God. We need to get on and stay on God's side. If God has a side in the fight, 
And I think you would all agree with me, God is always right with his side. Our goal is to get on God's side, is to follow God. Let's look again at verse 14. And he said, no, but I'm the commander of the Lord's army. Now I'm here. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped. The word fell there means to prostrate yourself. It means to stop whatever you're doing. Wow, wouldn't this be cool in church if we just stopped and said, you know what, I'm going to worship God. Stopped and they fell. It's the picture of someone falling through a roof. It's not something planned or organized or staged. It's a picture of God getting hold of us and it shakes our life up. And it says then he worshiped. And these words are synonymous. The word worship means to prostrate yourself. It means to fall down. It means to put your forehead on the ground. See, we're all mixed up about worship. We talk about this in here semi-regularly. But we say, well, we're going to sing some songs so we'll worship. You can sing and worship, and you can sing and not worship at all. A beautiful song, there's a lot of beautiful songs on the radio done by people who don't know Jesus. That's not worship. You can preach and teach, and, and, and that's not worship. It can be. Music can be. The definition of worship is surrender. You know, the most worshipful time of the service is the invitation. It should be when we are surrendering ourselves to God. That should be the most worshipful time. Look in verse 15. Again, this is another reason why I believe he, had a, uh, he, was, he met God here. And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground, holy, sacred ground. If you were to look back at Exodus chapter 3, the same thing happened to Moses. You remember Moses is walking around the desert. He's been walking around the desert 40 years now, and he's probably going, why did I kill that guy? Why did I kill that guy? Why did I kill that guy? And then he sees a bush that's burning up, and he's not been drinking, so he goes, this is weird. And he goes over to the bush, and the bush is on fire, but it doesn't burn up. And then a voice comes out of it, and he realizes it's God. And God says, Moses, you're in the middle of this nasty, dusty desert. Take off your shoes. You are standing on holy ground. Folks, I want to tell you, God's here this morning. This is holy ground. Do you know that? Anywhere God shows up is holy ground. And he shows up to to Joshua. And he tells Joshua, you've done several things in this chapter previously. They had... They had circumcised all the young men. They hadn't done that. That was part of the Jewish ritual, right, of Judaism. They took the Passover together. Now they're resting and they're getting ready to go take Jericho. They lacked one thing, and that was a surrendered heart. So you can do all the externals, but if your heart's not surrendered, you're never right with God. And Joshua surrendered here. And I I believe he went back to his people, and he told his people what happened. And they had a tremendous surrender here. I think what Joshua realized is, you know what? If I get on God's team, that's where victory's going to happen. That's where joy's going to happen. That's where power is. That's where effectiveness is. We spend all this energy politicking and manipulating and trying to beg God or push God or make God after our own image when all we need to do is get on God's side and get under God. And like I said earlier, man, this is so important. You can be a Christian this morning. Man, God loves you. God's not going to abandon you. But many of us as Christians, we don't have the power of God on our lives. We don't have the effectiveness of God on our lives. We've moved so far away. I mean, we're good and religious. We just moved a long way from God. And let me tell you, when you're going to try to do life without the power of God, it's not going to go well. If you're taking notes, write this down, and you can look it up later. It's a great story. In Numbers 14... 
verse 39 through 45. This was their grandparents and their parents. They disobeyed God. God told them to go to the promised land. They said, we can't do it. God said, you can. They said, no, we can't. So God said, okay, you can die here in the desert. Then they said, whoops, we've made a mistake. We're going to go take the promised land. You know what God said? Don't do it. I'm not going to be with you. It's not going to go well. They said, no, 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 it's right. We had a business meeting. We voted. It was the right thing to do. So they go to battle, and you know what happens? They get their heads handed to them. God loved them, but when you get outside of God's will, when you're not on God's side, you don't have God's power Look in verse 6 here in this same chapter. It says, this is talking about their past history. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, men 20 and older, people 20 and older, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that he, he was going to give them, that he had sworn to give their fathers and to give to us. Next week, we're going to look at chapter 6, where they have a tremendous victory because they're where God wanted them to be. God, they're on God's team. But then chapter 7, we'll see in a few weeks after that, they get away from God again, and they get defeated again. The moral of the story is this, folks, that the Jewish people never fully learned that you can wear the tag of God's people And God can truly love you and care about you. But if you want to do it your way, God's going to let you and it's never going to go well. Folks, here's the problem with me and with you. We want to do God on our terms. And we want God on our team. Philip Yancey is a a Christian writer and he tells a story. I'm sure the names that were changed in the story. But it was about a friend of his, a lady named Susan. And she's a Christian. And they were talking, and she told him, she said, Philip, my husband does not meet my needs anymore. Therefore, I'm going outside of our marriage to have my sexual needs met. Hmm. He did what you and I would do. He looked at her and stared. And and through the course of the conversation, she said, you know, I, I, I just go every morning, I get up and I spend an hour in prayer. I have a deep prayer time with God. Yancey saw the opportunity, so he asked her. He said, Susan, when you're in there praying to God, does he ever mention anything about you committing adultery uh, on your husband? He said she turned purple with anger. And here's what she said. She said, That sounds, and this is a white woman saying this to a white man, that sounds like a white Anglo-Saxon male. (laughs) The father and I, we're not about morals, we're about relationship. Folks, let me tell you something. You can't be about the father without being about morals. You see the book here? God wrote the book. He ain't never going against it. Very bad grammar, but did you get my point? He is never going against it. Man, me and God are doing great. You aren't doing great with God unless you were on God's side, on God's team. That's where you have favor and blessing. But but that's how we are, isn't it? We we expect to do life our own way, and we expect God just to to approve of it and be good with it. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. 
The, the flip side of that is the Pharisees. You remember the Pharisees in, the, in Jesus' day? Pharisees are still around today. Moral, religious, follow rules, and condemn everybody who doesn't, right? And Jesus said about many of them, he said, you're going to bust tail wide open. You don't know the Father. You see, it, it can be easier following rules than submitting your life. Folks, here's what God wants from you and me. God doesn't want you to try to drag him on your team to your side of the argument. God wants you to get on his team. God wants you to get under him. You can't do life with God on your own terms. I I love what a a missionary, the guy died years ago. His name is Hudson Taylor. He was a missionary in China. Hudson Taylor said this, and, and we're still the same. He goes, here's what we do, even as Christians. We plan, which is good. We politic, which may or may not be good. We plot, we strategize, we figure out what we want to do, we set the agenda, and then we say, oh, God, please bless the agenda. Don't we do that? He said, we ought to do just the opposite. What you do is you come to God and you pray, God, give me the agenda. God, show me what your plans are. And, and, and then I submit myself to God. And listen, when you've submitted yourself to God, when you've got the orders from God and the plan from God, that's what God will bless. It's when Joshua surrendered here to God, it's when he got the battle plan. That's where we get the plans. I don't know who wrote this, but let me give you, this is a really good saying. We need to pray before we plan, bow before we do battle, and submit before we serve. See, some of us are serving God, but we're doing it on our own terms. We do it how it pleases us. Let me repeat that again. Pray before you plan, bow before battle, and you submit before you serve. How different would things be? How would it be different in your marriage? And I'm not saying your your spouse doesn't need to get right. But you can't control them. You can pray, but what you got to do is you got to get on God's side, and you got to get under God. And you can't control your family. Outside, I mean, you, you, your kids living home, you have some say, but outside of that, you don't. What do you do? You get on God's side. Well, I got problems at work. So does everybody else. What do you do? You, you don't try to manipulate and lie and do wrong. You get under God. Well, at school or my athletic team, my coach doesn't do me right. My teachers don't do me right. I understand. Every time I made a bad grade, there's no question it was a bad teacher behind it in my academic career. That's a joke to you teachers. I'm trying to give your kids some support. But you get under God. You bring your life under God. One of the most phenomenal things in this story is what happened to Joshua. Now, how does this apply to you as a Christian? It's a daily thing. Luke 9, 23. Look at Luke 9, 23. It says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. It's a daily choice. Romans 12, 1 says it so well, too. Romans 12, 1. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. You know, the only problem with a living sacrifice is it has a tendency to crawl off the altar, doesn't it? See, what God's saying, listen, this is hard. When you truly became a Christian, you did this. You got under God. But it's something we have to choose to do daily. 
We have to choose daily to keep ourselves surrendered and under God. There's no other way we can please God. But man, this is the key. Psalms 37, 4, listen to what it says. Delight yourself in the Lord, and then he will give you the desires of your heart. Put yourself under God. Fall in love with Jesus. Live for Jesus. Then everything else flows. Proverbs 3, 6 gives us, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. You see, here's our problem. Here's my problem. Here's your problem. We want God's hand. We want God's blessing. But we just don't want to do it God's way. And it doesn't work. And then God whispers to us this morning and he says, give me your heart. Give me your heart and then you get my hand. God's hand always follows where our heart goes. I learned this lesson probably a thousand times and I've messed up a thousand times with it. But one time that it really sunk in was in 1996. I was pastoring a church, my second church right outside of College Station, Texas, in a little place called Millican, which if you know anything about that area, it's in between Navasota and College Station. And it was just a, it was a great church. That's the only way I can describe it. I'd been there about three, a little over three years, just a great, happy, loving church. And this church from near Abilene, three and a half hours away, called me and said, we want to talk to you about being our pastor. So I went up there and I talked to him and Uh, the fall of 1995, but I felt clearly God saying no. I think God was saying wait, but I I just heard no, so I told him no, I'm staying where I am. And that was great, and everything was wonderful. Three months later, they called me back, and they said, we feel like that you are to be our pastor. So I went up there and talked to him again, and I began to feel God pushing my heart to move up there. And I didn't want to. I just met this girl named Cindy, and she's chasing me. She's wanting to marry a preacher. (laughs) My Rottweilers loved her. I mean, it was a match made in heaven. And I loved that church. Everything was was just going so well that the the other church was kind of in a low spot. And and I didn't want to go. And and I felt the Holy Spirit tell me, that's where I want you to go. But I I rationalized it. And I said, you know, there's no way God wants me to leave here. So I I called him back, and I said, I'm not coming. And for about two months, man, I felt the Holy Spirit just punching me in the heart. Like some of you are feeling right now. And then I read that story in Numbers 14 where God had told them to do something, then they didn't do it, and then on their own decided to do it, and God didn't go with them, and they, they failed terribly. And here's what God whispered in my ear that night. You can stay, but I'm not going to be with you. You can stay here if you want to. And no matter how much effort, how much you push, how much you pull, my blessings aren't going to be with you. And I don't know why I made the right decision, but I did. I moved three and a half hours away, took her up there with me a couple years later, stayed six years. It was wonderful until we moved here. But God's whispering that to you this morning. You you can keep dating that person and marry them. You can take that job when you shouldn't. You can stay in Ruston when you're not supposed to. You can live for God completely on your terms. He's going to let you. You can do it. But you need to know that the power and the blessing and the hand of God won't be on you. 
Folks, there's all kinds of slogans you hear today. One of them is love wins. And I'm not going to get into all the politics and what, what that says. But let me say this. In the end, Chris doesn't win. You don't win. Love doesn't win. God wins. If we want to be on the winning side, we need to get on God's team. Will you? Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, I know God's speaking to you. I really do. I know he's got something. He's, some of you maybe in a big way, some of you in small ways, listen to what God's saying to you today. You're here this morning and you're not a Christian. You're unsure if you're a Christian. You're ready today to cross that line with Jesus. Would you pray with me? Would you pray with me where you are and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. Jesus, I believe you're God's son and that you died and arose for me. Come into my heart, Jesus. And I surrender my life to you. I surrender my life to you, Jesus. Let me have your attention. We're going to stand in just a second. And when we do, I want to give you the opportunity this morning to get on Jesus' team. Maybe you just prayed and asked Jesus into your life or you're ready to do that. Maybe you want to talk about it after church. That'd be great. Maybe you want to come this morning and let a minister help you with that decision. That's the, that's the introduction to getting on Jesus' team. Come and do that this morning. Maybe you're here today and you'd like to join our church. You can do it after church or you can come today and join us. Listen, if God's leading you to do it, you need to obey Him. That's part of being on His team. Come and join us today. Christians, some of you are, right now, you are smack dab where God wants you to be. Amen. Keep it up. Remember, it's easy to slide off the altar. Stay where you are. Some of us here, and all of us have been Christian. You've been a Christian very long. This is true. You're not where you need to be. And you're trying to pull God to your team or manipulate Him or whatever. It doesn't work. Come back to Christ. Maybe where you're standing, maybe at the altar, praying with a minister or on your knees. But let's stand. And as God leads you this morning.